when you get that, and if you brought your Bible with you tonight, I encourage you to make your way to 1 Timothy. We're right in the middle of this letter to Timothy. And in chapter 3, we read a, a really interesting sentence by Paul. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So what's the church supposed to be? How's it supposed to function? What are people in the church supposed to be like? Well, Paul says that his letter to Timothy, this letter, that it's been written to help answer that very question. What's the church all about? And he wrote it so that not only this church here in Ephesus, but honestly, just all churches, they would know how they should work and how they should run and church would know its purpose, know what roles people are supposed to be doing in the church. So if you've ever wondered, like, what's church all about? What am I supposed to be doing at church? What is this all about? First Timothy is a great letter to help us understand that. I think we know just from being around church and hopefully, especially our church, we know that the church exists to help people worship God. We exist so that we can worship God. So it's it's really no wonder with that big purpose in mind that Paul begins his letter where he does. He begins with the teachers, the ones who teach. He starts talking about the, the preachers and chapter one begins kind of negative. It's It's pretty harsh. He wants to talk to Timothy about false teachers, bad preachers, not just boring, but actual preachers who don't know what God's word actually says. They don't know what it means. They don't know how to teach it. They don't know anything about God's word at all. It was so bad that they really had to spend all their time talking about stories, chapter 1 says, myths and parts of the Bible that didn't produce any spiritual fruit. It was a waste of time. It promoted uh, speculations, Paul said that. It, it promoted this just nonsense instead of real faith. So these bad preachers, bad pastors, they weren't helping anyone worship God. They weren't helping anyone come to faith or or grow in their faith. God was not being exalted or worshipped. He wasn't honored or praised at all. And this opening part of, of Paul's letter, his instruction on false teachers and how they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing in the church, it got him talking about real faith, genuine faith. And that sort of leads him down like a kind of a crazy rabbit trail. He starts talking about the gospel and who the gospel's for. He says the law of God, which is a way to think about the Old Testament. He said that was really just given to sinners, given to all mankind. And as you read that law and you're confronted by God's law, you're meant to see your incredible failure. You're meant to understand God's standard of perfection, and then you just compare that to your your staggering amount of sin. God's word's given to 
to, to mankind. It's given to you that you might understand that, that you would read that and, and recognize, boy, I'm in trouble. I have no ability to fix this. My parents can't fix this. My friends can't. I don't know what to do here. I, I'm in real trouble. And you're meant to, to see from Scripture as a whole your hopeless state that you're, you're in a bad spot and, and you're meant to be driven to someone much more powerful than you to actually fix it. And so in chapter 1 of verse 15, Paul gives hope to the hopeless. He says the saying is trustworthy and it's deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so this is the message for the church. This is what the False teachers needed a lesson in. They needed to know this is what they were supposed to be proclaiming and teaching. This is what the message of the true teachers of God's word are to proclaim and announce. This is the church's message. It's the gospel. And because this is the message and this is the truth that's so desperately needed, that's why we're supposed to proclaim it. It's what the people in Ephesus needed so badly. When the first church started and every church since then, they've needed this truth, this reality of the gospel. You need this message. The lost need this message of salvation, of forgiveness, of hope. And that leads Paul to just think of another duty of the church, and it's connected, and it's a responsibility to pray. What are people in the church supposed to be doing? Well, First, they're supposed to be proclaiming the gospel. They have to know it. They have to understand it. They have to have a good grasp on what God's word actually says. But then chapter 2, they also need to to pray, Paul writes. Paul directs the believers there to, to pray for all people, all people who were lost, not just your friends or your family or people that you care about who are lost, but but all people, including people you probably don't like. And he mentions a couple, leaders and government officials, people that were making life difficult for for these Christians. Paul says, no, no, you need to pray for them too. Pray for the lost. This is the mission of the church. This is what we're supposed to be doing as a church, not just teaching and and preaching the gospel, but praying that the lost would come to saving knowledge of that gospel. And then Paul says, not only praying for the lost, but the church should also live for the lost. Believers are to live godly and and dignified in front of the lost. Christians are to be light in in front of them. Why? Well, because God uses his, his people. He uses the church to proclaim his truth and to live in front of the lost in such a way that they might come to saving faith. Believers are to live that way. Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 3, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So I, I really believe these are like Paul's sort of big ideas for the church. This is what we're supposed to be about. Church just isn't a social club. It's not just a fun place to be, we, we actually have a cause. 
We're to be busy with our Father's work of preaching the truth of the gospel and praying for the lost and living for the lost as well. It's kind of the overarching theme of what the church is all about. And and I think with that sort of now out of Paul's system, it's as if Paul wants to now kind of come back to his original topic, which is teachers. He has a few thoughts in verse 8 for the men and a few thoughts in verse 9 for the women. The men aren't to be angry with each other. They're not to be quarreling all the time, especially at church. They need to get along and there, there needs to be unity. And in verse 9, for the women, he says they need to be careful how they dress. It's a little more specific, but there should be like a, a recognizable godliness to their appearance. That's the aim for women in this church. Paul's talking to them and it's good for us to hear those too. And, and these women aren't to mirror the world. That was really the problem there is they were trying to be too much like the world. Rather, he really wants them to represent someone who's been made new, someone who's a new creation in Christ, someone whose citizenship's in heaven, not here. And so he charges them with that. And that leads us to, to our text tonight. It's, a, it's about the roles of women in the church. And we learn a little bit about the men too, but mainly focused on the women. And it's a text that gets us back to our original topic, which is teachers, preachers, pastors. Who's supposed to be doing this? So Paul tells us in chapter one, you know, churches can't endorse False teachers, false preachers, they, they need to wake up. They got to stop supporting those kinds of bad preachers. But women also are not to be in this role of preacher or pastor. So what is a, what's a girl supposed to do? What's a woman supposed to do? What's her role in the church? Great question. And our text, I believe, has the answer. And by the way, dudes, this isn't a message that you get to tune out of. Uh, Really helpful here. It's some insight that I think you need to know because your role, just like the role for women, it's all under attack. What is a gender roles? You know, they're under attack in our day. What's a man's role and responsibility? Same question for the girls. What's What's the Bible say about a female's role and her responsibility, not just in the church, but in the home, in the community. I mean, confusion abounds. And you may ask why. I mean, the answer, I think, is what we'll even see here in First Timothy, because the one who created us, the one who designed our roles, is, is being ignored. His word, his instruction about what we're supposed to do and and how we function best in the home and society and in the church, it's all being dismissed. And that obviously creates a problem. When the Bible's abandoned, chaos ensues. You know, let me say that another way. Ignore God's word, and it's only a matter of, of time before disorder and mayhem become the new normal. I mean, think about it. If this church in Ephesus had 
the, the pastors and preachers like they do who aren't preaching the Bible, it only makes sense that the people there don't really understand what they're supposed to be doing. They don't understand their roles as men and as women. We know that. The men weren't leading. They weren't being the men God wanted them to be. They weren't the spiritual leaders they were supposed to be. They didn't know the truth. They didn't fight for it. They didn't teach it. They didn't insist on it in their church. They're not praying the way that they should. They're not living the way that they're called to live. And the women aren't doing what they're supposed to do either. Women weren't who God called them to be in, in, the, in the society, in their family, in the, in the culture. They're missing the mark as well. So what is a woman's role? Well, verse 11 says this, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach, chapter 2, verse 12, or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she'll be saved through childbearing, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control." I don't know if, if you're taking notes tonight. I might just encourage you to write this down. Maybe we'll start here. Like, what is the role of a woman? The role of a woman. What role does a woman play at church? You know, and after reading that, let me just say for, you know, the junior hires here on my right, just a few words, okay? Number one, this is not saying that girls are not allowed to speak at church, it would just be really weird um, in a lot of ways. The singing would be weird if it was just the guys singing. I mean, I think it would be actually awful. Um, it would be weird if you were like miming everything and like hand motions and sign language because you weren't allowed to talk. I mean, just it's weird. That's not what this is, okay? Definitely not. Although some churches try to do that, but that's not what this is. Number two, this is also not saying that a woman is for, forbidden to teach in all situations or in every circumstance. Um, we would have a big problem in Sunday school if that were true. Some of my favorite teachers are Sunday school teachers. Uh, number three, this is also not saying that men are more important than women. Really important that you understand that. Bible never says that, that women are inferior, spiritually inferior, never. Um, a, a few thoughts uh, with even the life of Christ. In John chapter 4, the first person that Jesus sort of reveals his Messiahship to, that, that he's the Christ, is a woman. Uh, he, he calls women to be his disciples. He teaches women. He heals women. He prayed with women. I mean, I just think most importantly, he died for women. So in no way, shape, or form is that ever to be a thought that it's somehow different. Um, Bible teaches that women are fellow heirs in Christ, that the word of God is for women just as much for men. The warnings in scripture are for both. The promises are for both. The hope in the gospels for every single person. Okay, I just want to make sure that that's clear. Galatians 
chapter 3, verse 28, if you need a verse, it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, a huge division of, of kind of two types of people. There's neither slave nor free, so kind of talking about social status. Paul writes Galatians 3, 28, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay? Super important to understand that. So what is this saying here then in 1 Timothy? I think a little context is helpful. The, the culture during this time of this church, it's very different from ours. And we could talk about all those differences, but the main one would be that, that girls, that, that women were excluded from learning. And if you had a hard day at school today, I don't want you to be like, man, I wish I had a time machine because I would love to live then. You wouldn't, okay? You would not, I promise. Uh, it's very, very different. But that was the norm. You were excluded from teaching and instruction, just the way things were. So when it came to church, it would make sense to these people in Ephesus to not have the women included, and they're coming from two types of people, Jews and Greeks. And, and both of them had that same similarity. For the Jewish women, they were just not held in high esteem. Uh, they would have been familiar with sort of being shunned from the synagogue. The Greek women, they were used to a very sort of lonely and isolated life. A, a lot of them were confined to their house. Like they never got to leave. That was normal. So these women in the church are learning for the first time that, that women and men are, are equal in God's sight. And that's so true, by the way, that it's not made up. Let me just quote our pastor. Here's how he answers that question about the equality of men and women, even from the Old Testament. He says this, The Old Testament affirmed that women have a spiritual status equal to that of men. And I'll just rapid virally fire these. The Mosaic law was given to all Israel, women, as well as men, Deuteronomy 1. Both men and women were to teach, teach that to their children, Deuteronomy 6. The protection of the law applied equally to women and men, uh, Exodus 21. Women had inheritance rights. Men and women alike participated in all the Jewish feasts. Single greatest spiritual vow, the Nazarite vow, was open to both men and women. And all these have Bible references if you want them. Women were involved in spiritual service. God didn't hesitate to deal directly with women. And even the roles of women in the Old Testament, we see the differences. There were no queens in Israel or Judah. No women served as priests. No women had ongoing prophetic roles. God spoke through women sometimes, but none of them were consistently in those roles that we would say are like preaching or teaching. Women didn't author any books of the Bible. And not only is that true of the Old Testament, but the New Testament presents the exact same reality. Equal in God's sight, the same value, different roles. They just did different stuff. Okay? So the Ephesian women, they, they had to learn these roles. Yes, there was some equality, but they, they had different roles to fill. And so it's possible that some of the women took things a little too far, and it's not a stretch to see why 
they'd reach for these positions of power and leadership, knowing how badly they were treated in their culture. But this isn't about the culture. This is about the church. How are women supposed to function in the church? What's their role? Well, again, just important to highlight, this is, this is when the church is meeting. A woman's role is defined as a learner, not a teacher. Okay, A learner, not a teacher. They are to listen to the men. And Paul says they're to be quiet and submissive. They're to learn quietly with all submissiveness. And a ton of people, I wasted so much time today reading about it, try to misinterpret these verses And they do the weirdest things with these, this little section of scripture. Some make a case for women pastors, as long as they have the right attitude of like submission and meekness and humility. And that's, you know, not what it's saying here. And and some churches actually make a case for women being silent at church. I don't know where those churches are, but some of, apparently somewhere people are doing that, so grateful for the church you go to, but, but we don't even have to wonder what Paul means because the very next verse, he explains himself. What does he mean by this quiet and submissive comment? Verse 12, he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she's to remain quiet. When it's preaching time for the church, Paul's saying women are to, to listen. I mean, it's rude, by the way, to talk when anyone's preaching, but this is more than just like the girls need to quiet down. This is instruction for the women to understand that their role in the church is limited. And I'd quickly add that this word teach, it's better understood this way. Paul's saying that he does not allow a woman to be a teacher or to be someone who can exercise authority over a man. So it isn't just about teaching. It's about who the women are teaching and when. I mean, women make wonderful teachers. They have a lot to offer, incredibly insightful. I know plenty of women with the spiritual gift of communication and teaching and leadership. That's not a mistake. Women can Teach, women should teach, but listen, not in the worship service of the church. They can teach children, they can teach women, both are commanded in Scripture. They're supposed to do that, but they're not to be in this position of spiritual leadership over the church. They're not to be a pastor in the church. Role of pastor teacher is is reserved for men. I read a sentence today that I can tell you is absolutely true. Uh, leading the church is not what it appears to be. Leadership it seems like that's the most important role and that's the cool role and that's like so fun. I'd love to be an elder and a pastor. I, I can tell you, <laughs> it, it's not as fun as it seems. You can ask Dr. Scott, who's been an elder for much longer than me. It is not as cool and fun as it seems. With leadership comes a a huge burden of responsibility. So let me say it this way. The woman's role is not punishment. 
It's privilege. And it's helpful to think of it that way. Your role is not punishment. It's privilege. You're spared from a burden of responsibility that comes with leadership. Enjoy God's peace that he's offering you in his design for the church. To help us think about this role of women in the church, Paul just reminds us in the next verses of the perfect order of God's good creation and also a reminder of the fall. You could just say point to God's creation. Uh, Look at verse 13. He writes, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And you kind of think, Paul, where are you going? What are you talking about? He says, And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. He's reminding us of how things have always been, how these roles have always been this way. This is not a new thing. Paul is not making something up. He's not doing something new. Man was created first, and Eve created to be Adam's suitable helper in Genesis. Women were always to be in a different role than men. They were created to help serve a husband in marriage in a subordinate role, but a role that goes back to creation and a role that was ignored during the infamous fall of Adam and Eve. And here, Paul, he's reminding us that it was Eve who was deceived first, which is interesting because the Bible says over and over and over that it was Adam's sin. What's the deal? Romans chapter 5 says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the sin of Adam. Or 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Even though Eve was deceived first, Adam gets the blame. Why? Because Adam is the the head of this relationship. He's the one responsible for, for both of them. Genesis 3, you can read all about Adam and Eve's sin. You know it, they ate the fruit that God said don't eat. Eve was highly just vulnerable to Satan's temptation. And you wonder why, and the reason is because she was leading instead of following. She was outside of Adam's leadership, and Adam, just as guilty, he was not doing what he was supposed to do either. He wasn't leading, he was following. Eve was deceived, and Adam followed right along, and Adam chose to sin. He chose to disobey God as well. So the fall is a result of disobedience. They did what they weren't supposed to do. But it's so interesting, because the fall right here also shows us it's a violation of God's designed order. What this man and woman were supposed to be doing, they both were not doing. They were abandoning the roles they were created for, and what happened? Chaos followed. It's 
always how it is. Man's appointed to this role, to leadership from the garden. It's not a new thing. He's to bear that responsibility of leadership, which means women, although equally important and loved by God, they've always had a different role. And listen, leadership is just not one of them. It's just not one of them. And like the church, it's not punishment. It's privilege to be spared from these responsibilities. So before you think that boys have all the perks and that it's, you know, all the blessing to be, to be a dude and, you know, I don't know, being a girl stinks or whatever you think. I don't know. Just look at this verse 15. This is so helpful. Paul writes in verse 15, yet she'll be saved through childbearing. If they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So listen, girls, it's totally a bummer that Eve was deceived first. It is. But that doesn't mean we just like walk around with our heads down. Like that's not the point. That's not what Paul's saying here. Eve left the protection and leadership of her husband and she messed up big time. But Paul is saying women are saved and it's preserved or like delivered. I think is a kind of what that word means there. She's delivered from this stigma of what Eve did. How? What's Paul say? Through this amazing gift of having children and raising them in godliness. This amazing thing happens. So what's, what's Paul saying? Well, women have an amazing role to play. Not only do they have children, but they have an incredible influence on their children. And this is where Paul's focus goes. He knows moms get to spend the most time from those first moments of life well into childhood. It's the mom's influence. Her role is so huge. It's so important. And her influence is purposed to be a godly influence and to raise up her children to be godly. Paul's point is so simple. I mean, yeah, it's true. Eve led the human race technically into sin. But she's redeemed. She's delivered from that shame as she raises godly children. Women have the immense honor of of leading the human race out of sin. That's what Paul's saying. Women are preserved and and, and healed and delivered from this blame. And of course, no surprise here, this isn't automatic. Not every mom accomplishes this. Paul says they must continue in faith, love, and holiness, and exhibit tons of self-control. What's that? in order for a mom to raise godly children, Paul's just highlighting reality. You, you need to be godly yourself. That's no secret. We know that. Mom must be godly herself. So what role do you play in the church? What are you supposed to do? I mean, you don't have to wonder. God's word, it lays it all out for us right here. Men are to be leaders. Scary, right, boys? You're to be a leader in the church, in your home. You're to lead. You're responsible. And women are, have this subordinate role. 
They're not inferior in any way. They have a different role. Women are to learn and to submit to their God-given role. And I would just highlight it one more time. It's not a punishment. Such a privilege to enjoy that role. The, 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 The peace of God from just getting to follow. It's really amazing. Really amazing. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for tonight for just a, a reminder of what your word teaches us about our roles in the church. Lord, it is encouraging and it's helpful to see that you care about every little detail. Lord, you care very much how your church is supposed to look and operate and function. And Lord, even in the roles that you give us, we know that we can't do those on our own. Lord, we need your help to if we're, if we're men to lead and if we're women, Lord, we need your help to, to follow and to, to serve you to the best of our ability. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the design of your church, how it benefits us best. And Lord, I pray that we would trust it, Lord, that we would honor you, Lord, most in our church. Thank you for tonight. Father, I pray that you'd be with us during small groups as we talk about your word and talk about these realities. God, help it to impact our day and the rest of our week. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.